Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guest today is Jihan Giran, Executive Director of Black Mesa Water Coalition, whose environmental justice economic development work focuses on a region of the Navajo Nation called Black Mesa, an area that has experienced negative public health and environmental impacts of coal-fired power plants on and surrounding the nation. Black Mesa Water Coalition's mission is to build a just transition away from the fossil fuel-based economy of the Navajo Nation towards a green economy that uplifts the traditional economy and honors the culture and health of the Navajo people. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming today. What brought you to Tucson? Yeah, well, actually, what brought me was a meeting. (laughs) It's happening later on today, but it's been a group of us who've been meeting for maybe a year now, sporadically, trying to build um, an Arizona network of different kind of social justice organizations. So I've been a part of that. It's developing, figuring out what we do together and just kind of trying to get to know each other phase. And so I was coming down here for that and then... Uh, One of the participants from Arizona Children's Action, I think is what it's called, just asked if I'd be willing to speak to folks down here while I was here. And I said, sure. You know, (laughs) I think it's really important for those of us working in northern Arizona to have a stronger connection with southern Arizona, especially because of the connection that we already have uh, around energy and water. What is that connection that we already have around energy and water? (laughs) Sure. I mean, that's... What our whole organization addresses is, you know, this historical relationship that was created in order to build out the Southwest. And our region, the Navajo Nation, was deemed to be a national sacrifice zone in order for the major Southwestern cities to be built. So we've become the battery of the Southwest. In the region of Black Mesa, we have two coal mines um, that fed one coal-fired power plant that's closed now and then also feeds the Navajo Generating Station in Page, Arizona. The Navajo Generating Station was built to power the CAP, the Central Arizona Project, which pushes water down here. It's over a 300-mile-long canal system that needs to lift water 3,000 feet in order to come down here to the valley. So that's the connection. Um, And on our end, we've provided cheap water, cheap electricity, and also all different parts of the reservation. We have a history of uranium mining, oil and gas development. There's a huge natural gas fracking boom that's happening now on the eastern side. So we've been providing all of these resources so that places like Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles could exist. But we've really seen very little benefits from that. The coal industry and the fossil fuel industry does provide jobs and royalty payments to our tribe, which are important, but it's so small. I mean, our Navajo Nation actually has, at this point, 60% unemployment on our reservation. It's always between 46% and 54% unemployment is just normal. And so in our estimations, the jobs provided by the coal mines and the power plants create like a thousand jobs, which isn't a lot you know, for the 200,000 plus people who live there on the reservation. But it is a lot when we have 60% unemployment. So that's kind of this situation that we've been stuck in for a while is very dependent on our own exploitation in order to provide just a basic livelihood to some people who live there. 
But some of the other things we experience are just impacts to health, people's health from, you know, the mind blasting, from all the emissions, mercury, sulfur dioxides, nitrous oxides coming out of the power plants, and also impacts to water. So our organization, as you said, is focused on the region of Black Mesa, which is about 17 to 21 different communities, depending on who you talk to in that region. And it's also on both the Hopi and Navajo nations. And under Black Mesa is the Navajo Aquifer. So it's a pristine, kind of like prehistoric water that is the sole source of drinking water for everybody in that region. And Peabody Coal Company has been using it for over 40 years and overusing it for (laughs) over 40 years at this point. Nowadays, community members are seeing earth fissures and sinkholes, areas that are showing that the aquifer is being overused. And that's a huge concern to us too. It was our main concern when we started. So on Black Mesa are two mines, the Black Mesa mine and the Kianta mine. The Black Mesa mine fed the Mojave Generating Station in Laughlin, Nevada. What they used to do was to pump up groundwater from the Navajo Aquifer, mix it with pulverized coal, and transport it through a slurry line 273 miles to Laughlin, Nevada. So that was 4,400 acre-feet of water a year for over 40 years for free. (laughs) Peabody didn't pay anything for that. And so when we started our organization in 2001, it was because of that. And it was because community members were seeing that water was drying up in different springs and different wells and wondering what was going on. So we just, you know, tried to learn about it and provide education to community members, like many of whom don't have running water, by the way, you know, and comparing the amount of water that they use (laughs) in a week compared to what Peabody was using and just trying to like break it down to something that people could understand rather than talking about acre feet, like who even understands what that means, you know? (laughs) So just doing that education and us as BMWC and then also other organizations and organizers in the region, we were able to organize communities to pass resolutions and send it through our whole tribal government system so that Peabody could no longer use the groundwater for transportation anymore. That, coupled with a lawsuit from your mainstream environmental organizations against the Mojave Generating Station, and winning that lawsuit, shut down the Mojave Generating Station in 2006. So that was our first really big victory. But it was a bittersweet victory, because (laughs) especially for our members who were from Black Mesa at the time, they also have relatives who work at the mine and who work at the power plant. So that was a real, I think we felt it as an organization and really made a commitment to rather than only working to shut things down, we're really going to try and figure out what other type of economy could work for our people and could replace fossil fuels over time. And that's what we meant when we started working on the issue of just transition is trying to figure out specifically, you know, how do we get from here to there and not just kind of assume that we're going to jump to some perfect ideal world all of a sudden, but to actually be intentional and thoughtful and kind of navigate those contradictions of figuring out what are the steps to actually get us out of a situation that we're in. So that was one area. The other mine on Black Mesa is called the Kayenta Mine, and that sends coal through a rail line to the Navajo Generating Station in Page. NGS. 
is 2,250 megawatts. So it's the largest coal-fired power plant in the western United States. It's huge. And it's also the only one that is owned by the federal government. So the Bureau of Reclamation is the majority owner of the Navajo Generating Station. And then other owners are APS, SRP, LA Department of Water and Power, Nevada Power, and SRP is the operating owner. NGS was built in order to power the Central Arizona project. And about a third of the power that's generated there still does that. And it makes it a much harder nut to crack. (laughs) When all of Southern Arizona is very dependent on that water and on that cap water. I just want people in Southern Arizona to understand that there could be a better way of moving water and a better system than a huge coal-fired power plant because of the narrative that Navajos need it. They need it for jobs. They are so impoverished. We can't possibly regulate this power plant. That will just make these Navajos lose jobs and increase your rates. And so I think we really need to push back on that narrative and not accept that that's it, that we have to choose between health, you know, (laughs) environmental health and having electricity or power or water. I think that that's a really false framework that we've been led to believe. And so part of coming down here and part of us figuring out what is the just transition for the Navajo Nation is also figuring out what is just transition for the rest of Southern Arizona as well. You know, what would that look like? I mean, the first thing we thought about since we are a battery for the Southwest is how can we continue to provide energy but do it in a way that benefits more our people and prioritizes our people's health. The Navajo Generating Station, despite being named that, isn't owned by the Navajo Nation. (laughs) Okay, all that we get from the Navajo Generating Station is some money for signing leases for right-of-way for the land that it's on and for waiving our claim to 50,000 acre-feet of the Upper Colorado River for the Navajo Generating Station to use. So I have done my own estimations of if we were actually paid for that water for example, <laughs> over the first several years, the first decades of NGS's operation, that that would have been billions of dollars that could have gone into the Navajo Nation, you know, <laughs> but we weren't. We were paid, It's, I mean, something ridiculous. I can't remember the number now, but something like $10,000 a year or something <laughs> like that for all of these things. But if we were actually enforcing what water costs here in the desert, it's billions of dollars that we've been giving away for free for decades. And I just think that that's... <sighs> so wrong. It just keeps us in a position where we're desperate for any kind of income and any kind of support. So I think a natural first step is to transition to renewable energy. For Southern Arizona to do that as well, there's so many ideas like, can we cover the canals with solar panels? That's something that they've done in other countries in India that provides energy and also keeps the water from evaporating. And I don't remember the rate, but the water that evaporates out of the canals is also like crazy high, you know, and it's just so wasteful, right? (laughs) And I think we could do so much better. And then another idea, one of the projects that we're working on is called the Black Mesa Solar Project. So originally it was just, hey, can we use the lands that have already gone through mining and are sitting there in various stages of reclamation and put solar panels on them? You know, a massive large scale amount of solar panels, industrial scale. There's existing infrastructure to tap into electricity grids. There's buildings. It makes a lot of sense. And it's also ideal conditions because there's a lot of um, potential for solar energy generation up there as well as in all of Arizona. 
And so then that's something that we've been advocating for for a long time. It's proven to be a lot more challenging. And I think with this project and all of the projects that we're working on, one of the key lessons that we've learned is just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight, right? So it's just really trying to figure out how can we make these things a reality. And part of the hesitancy around these projects and the solar project has been our own Navajo tribal government's kind of lack of political will for anything besides coal, right? For the most part, our president and our leaders have just been so pro-coal, right? And and in my view, just afraid of exploring anything that could potentially challenge coal on our reservation. To me... I always think just because you're trying to build solar energy doesn't mean you're trying to stop coal. I mean, of course, that's what I want to do. But it doesn't mean that these two things can't happen simultaneously as well, right? Uh, So that's been a major challenge. And I also think that there's been a challenge around um, just even the community, you know, starting all the way from 1492 and termination policies and assimilation policies and reorganization policies have really intentionally try to put our people in a place where they're not independent anymore, right? And not self-sufficient anymore and need to rely on things like Peabody Coal Company in order to get anything. So there's that. And I think there's a real challenge in our communities, like for them even to believe. And after being taken advantage of for so long, you know, it's like people have a hard time believing that something like this could benefit them, right? That they could be owners of (laughs) solar generation, that they could sell electricity, that they can benefit from it is something that we're also trying to navigate. And I think especially since our reservation is very common not to have electricity, running water or basic infrastructure, I think it's hard for people to accept building an industrial scale solar project to sell energy to other cities when they themselves don't even have electricity in their homes, for example. So just really kind of scaling back our ideas to start where people are at. You know, what can we do to address the 18,000 homes on the Navajo Nation that don't have electricity? What are the community spaces like hospitals, schools, chapter houses, senior centers where we could put in solar just so people can see it and understand the benefits? So that's really where we're at. And a big part of that, too, is just us as our organization and as younger people just really trying to understand and be able to talk to people from a cultural point of view around the sun and solar power, right? What does our culture teach us about (laughs) the sun? Like, what are the benefits of it? And how can we apply those things to something like renewable energy? So it's all like a learning process as we go. But it has so much potential. And we've done studies or had studies done (laughs) to pull out the numbers of what the potentials are for solar energy in our region. And it's a lot. And also wind, you know. And I think it's just a process of organizing people to rally behind this common vision and and kind of feel aligned and going in that direction. So that's where we're at. And I think in terms of people in central and southern Arizona, we also want their support as well to say, you know, to APS and SRP. And yeah, we support a transition for the Navajo Nation and we want more solar energy. We want more renewable energy in our state. And that's something that we support. In fact, a lot of surveys have shown that (laughs) that's actually what Arizonans are for, you know. And I think it's also just a matter of while we're organizing at home on our reservation, being able to connect with folks who are organizing down here in the state capital and in other places trying to influence what our state does in terms of transition. 
You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager. Our guest today is Jihan Giron, Executive Director of the Black Mesa Water Coalition. How did you get started on this path? How did you come to the Black Mesa Water Coalition? Yeah, I feel like it was a serendipitous thing. I grew up on the reservation. I'm half Navajo on my mom's side and half black on my dad's side, and I grew up in a around the region of Fort Defiance. And, you know, I just kind of grew up seeing a lot of the negative side of living on the Navajo reservation. My uncle worked in a coal mine, which was actually on the road towards Gallup. So that's a BHP billeted mine that's been, sh- I think it's been closed now. But it was very normal. It was just a very normalized lifestyle to me growing up that men left <laughs> for weeks at a time and went to go work in mines or different places and then come back. I saw a lot of social problems that exist on our reservation as well, but also a lot of the beauty of it. I mean, I love small towns. I love small places just for the beauty of it and being closer to nature. And one of the main things is the sky at night, <laughs> like all the stars, like just those beautiful moments is are very important to me. But I grew up seeing a lot of the negative stuff, like I said. So things like, you know, alcohol, alcoholism and violence and just quote-unquote poverty and things like that. And so I really finished high school with, I want to get out of here. I want to like go someplace else, kind of make money, do my own thing. And I went to school at Stanford University. That experience was very helpful for me and just kind of learning about issues of social justice. And I majored in something called Earth Systems with a focus in energy science and technology. So we learned about how do power plants work? How do solar plants work? If you could design your own home, like what would it be like? And that kind of fun stuff. And it just really made me think, if we have all of these options you know, <laughs> for things that are more sustainable, why is it like that where I'm from? That seems wrong to me. And then I just began to learn about what does environmental justice mean? What does social justice mean? Why is it that certain communities are left behind while others flourish? And is it really just because Navajo people are, you know, not hardworking, they're lazy, they're not smart, they're alcoholics, like all these stereotypes that are said about Navajo and Native people? And I think it just really challenged my thinking when I began to learn about that. And I also met a woman named Ine Begay, who was one of the founders of Black Mesa Water Coalition. She was two years ahead of me at Stanford. And she left school. She moved back to Flagstaff and started to organize what became the Black Mesa Water Coalition with a bunch of other people. And so while I was in school, she would ask me to use my schoolwork to kind of help them. You know, so I remember... There was a proposal for a clean coal plant, you know, and carbon sequestration project on our reservation. And, you know, she said, they're out here telling people, like, it doesn't use any water and it's very efficient. And can you actually figure out what it's about? And so things like that, you know. And so I do some research on integrated gasification combined cycle power plants, you know, and things like that. <laughs> We're super complicated and just like realizing like actually these things use a lot of water, more water than <laughs> a conventional plant and just being able to connect back that way. And then when I graduated, I did an internship program and that just connected me again to Black Mesa Water Coalition. So I've known them all from the very beginning and just started working there. I'm into my fifth year now of working with BMWC. But before that, I worked with the Indigenous Environmental Network. We do a lot more of like national and international campaigns. So 
that's where I got to visit a lot of different Native communities around the U.S. and Canada, especially places like the Tar Sands, places like the Bakken Formation in North Dakota, just a lot of places and seeing that what I saw in my own homelands was also happening to Native communities all over the place. And why is that? You know, <laughs> So I think for me, my motivation was just that how unfair it was, you know, and how intentional corporations and even our federal government have been in setting up the systems exactly this way and sacrificing a lot of Native communities and other places. And so I just decided it was wrong and, <laughs> and I wanted to do something about it. And connecting with BMWC, it was a lot of other young people my age at the time. We were younger <laughs> in college and, you know, we started as a youth organization and have just been kind of learning by doing and and learning from other people as well, like different mentors. But that's what motivated me is I just knew that it was wrong. What gives you hope? What gives me hope? What gives me hope are the people who are younger than me. I <laughs> see that things are changing in them. And not only are they questioning thing these things, but, you know, just outright and blatantly saying these things are wrong and being comfortable in it. And also, I think, feeling a real motivation to move back home and to be at home or to stay at home, you know, <laughs> rather than leave. Like what my motivation was, was I want to get out of here and go do something better. And it took me a while to come back. I see that that's changing a lot in the younger generation of folks. And I think that that's really exciting. And it's good to see that it's happening in such a short period of time. I mean, our leaders now and our leaders during, you know, this whole kind of structuring of what our economy is now, they were people who went through the assimilation policies, right? So they were the people who were sent away to boarding schools, who were taught to not value their culture and their language and think that it was backwards and not the right way forward. And these are people who were sent into cities to be further assimilated, right? So my mom was part of that program, which is how she ended up in Chicago, was through the assimilation policy of sending um, people from the reservation to cities. So I think that that's part of the reason that <laughs> so many of our leaders allowed this system to happen the way that it has. But already, like, one generation later, two generations later, I think the vision of the, our generations are different than that. So I can just see as we move forward that our people are going to be a lot more successful in our own economy and a lot more proud and a lot more self-sufficient and a lot more empowered and have a lot more belief in ourselves. You know, <laughs> So I see that happening when, when I'm with young people. They even challenge me the way that I think sometimes. And I'm like, I thought I was like so progressive for lack of a better term. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, they challenge me even more, and I think that that's cool. I like that, and so I have a lot of, of hope for, for people like that. What else would you like us to know? We have other projects as well besides the Black Mesa Solar Project. When we talk about just transition, in my mind, there are, a big part of it is navigating contradictions and kind of making allowances that aren't 100% your vision in these first steps. And to me, that's what the solar project is, you know, because I know that building solar panels also involves mining. 
in other communities like ours, right? <laughs> in places like China and stuff like that. And I also don't believe that the job of the Navajo Nation should be providing cheap electricity to huge cities in the desert that are so unsustainable and wasteful, right? <laughs> like I think about Phoenix and you go down there and you're just like seeing all the golf courses and all the pools and all the misters and you're just like, people need to be smarter about <laughs> the resources that we have. I don't think that we should be supporting a lifestyle that's wasteful like that. So that's what I mean by navigating contradictions is it's not perfect, but it's something that could provide a first step for us to start to diversify our economy to what we might think is perfect. And two of our other projects, the Navajo Wool Market Improvement Project and the Food Sovereignty Project kind of reflect those ideals a little bit more. Those came from a place of, hey, what is it that Navajo people already do, you know? <laughs> and how can we strengthen that in order to sustain people, to bring people income, but also just provide people with food energy and water so that they don't have to like become millionaires and billionaires and try and always try and find a wage and live in the wage economy. Those projects are about the wool project is, hey, Navajo people have sheep. We have Navajo rugs. Um, we're artisans and craftspeople. We have meat. How can we turn that into economy? What kind of economy can we build surrounding that? And the first step that we've done is to host wool buys. So this year will be our fifth wool buy. It just came <laughs> from one of our staff people who had worked a week with her grandma to shear her sheep. And she has like 20 and they filled a truck bed full of wool. And they drove it into Gallup to sell it, which is like a two hour drive one way there. And they got $18 for it. And we were just like that's crazy. Somebody's making money off of this. It's not us. So how do we figure out what is happening to Navajo wool and bring all those processes back? So that's really what the wool project is. And the first step was the wool buy. So we created some relationships with wool buyers, Peace Fleece and Mid-State Wool Growers Cooperative to come out and buy from Navajo people directly. And we organized that wool buy and also to do some trainings with our folks to say, hey, this is how you should shear your sheep. This is how you should sort the wool. This is how you should clean it. This is how you can breed your animals to get a higher price. And so in our first year, while people would go into border towns and sell their wool for like 25 cents a pound, for those who participated in our programming, they got theirs up to $1.25 a pound. I'm not saying it's not hard work to pull those together, but with minimal effort, we're really like bringing money directly to people. And I think that there's so much potential to do to more development around that. And then our other project, the Food Sovereignty Project, is not about growing food to sell to people, but it's about growing food for ourselves, you know. <laughs> and the Navajo Nation is also a food desert, so we're 110 communities spread over a region that's larger than West Virginia and Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah, and we only have 13 grocery stores on our whole reservation. It's not the best food either. <laughs> so it's like, how can we grow food? You know, we used to have fields like all over the place that provide food for our people as communities but also to schools to senior centers food that's actually healthy for our people so that's what that project is as well thank you so much for coming in today thank you for having me you've been listening to jihan giran executive director of black mesa water coalition whose environmental justice economic development work focuses on the 
region of the Navajo Nation called Black Mesa, an area that has experienced negative public health and environmental impacts of coal-fired power plants on and surrounding the nation. Black Mesa Water Coalition's mission is to build a just transition away from the fossil fuel-based economy of the Navajo Nation towards a green economy that uplifts the traditional economy and honors the culture and health of the Navajo people. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager.